everybody, welcome back to another episode. I'm joined by my dear friend, Mr. Adam Markell. Adam, why don't you tell everybody what we talked about today? <laughs> what did we talk about today, George? I don't know. Life. Life. Okay, give it to me. What? Give me your recap. How do, how, how do you stay resilient in a world of constant and never-ending chaos? Mm. How do you do that? How do you actually – is it even possible to take all this uncertainty and even adversity and leverage it for our long-term growth? Is that possible, George? You tell me. Mm. Okay. Here's what I got. Adam would apparently become a lab and a dolphin. We talk about uncertainty and how to navigate it. There is no back to normal. It's the now normal. How Adam went from dread, insomnia, misery, and hospitalization and pivoting in, into a life that he loved. How Jerry Maguire at 2 a.m. hit the reset button on happiness. Do you have a code of conduct to begin and live your day? Resilience is not about – resilience is about recovery, not endurance. A three-step process to keep driving towards your vision positively. You're not your results. You're feeling the resonance of the results of your actions. The only freedom you have is the choice to think how you think. It's easier to avoid exhaustion in the first place than to recover from it later. The big difference, there's a big difference between a step back and a setback. And resilience isn't how we bounce back. It's about how we bounce forward. I think that summed it up. Did I miss anything? Good recap, buddy. So, yeah, I think we should we just talk about stop all of now. that. Yeah, we talked about all of that and much more. So I'm going to stop talking. We're going to go connect. We're going to cue the intro, and you guys should go listen now. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George show. I just turned up the volume a little bit because I have the man, the myth, the original bald legend that I just try to copy. He puts the heart inside of humans. He is a model example of humanity, compassion, empathy, expertise, entrepreneurship, being a dad, a husband, and loving every single human on the planet while also empowering them to step into their power, whether it's in speaking, entrepreneurship, living in their power, doing the work that nobody else really loves doing, but this guy can take anybody through it because he's got a heart of gold, a lifetime of experience, and I would consider him a walking compassion muscle. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show my dear friend, and boy, I'm sure you're going to get into some stories, Adam Markell. Welcome to the show, my friend. <laughs> George, you are you are a gentleman. Uh, I don't even know what to say after that. I probably should just retire. That, that's a, that, that's like an epitaph. I mean, that's you know, write it and I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> go, go sit by a lake somewhere. Everybody knows my secret obsessions. I watch freestyle rap, and I can't sing and I can't rap, so I try to do it with marketing and speaking. Yeah, good man. No, I loved you. Had a, a lot of ease going there for a minute, and I thought, is he going to do the whole thing with ease only? Yeah. But then you. Then, that and, would be a little you that's swung, you swung a little different. So that's like, a little right. outside of my pay grade. I don't have enough formal education <laughs> to keep going on that one because there's like yes. words and phrases there. So well <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we know we know we know we know you have trouble with words, right? Oh, here we go. It starts already. Yeah, Adam, and just so everybody <laughs> listening, Adam has probably been on the short end of George's talking stick more than a lot of people I've had on the show uh, <laughs> because he's a big rock and, <laughs> and component in my life. And we've, we've played together and um, yeah. Yeah. So Adam, Adam and his entire family have heard George's seven hour monologues um, about nothing that could be made in four points. So you are an intensely interesting person and, and I love you. And, and I know our family, everybody in our family does too. Um, and you're describing, I think, what was it? Uh, I probably screw this pronunciation up, but Aniz Nin said something along the lines of it. We don't see others as they are. We see ourselves. We see mm -hmm. others as we are. Mm -hmm. And I think you speaking about me that way is very much you speaking about yourself. And I think this, and there's nothing wrong with that. You are a very compassionate person. You feel 
I think you feel the full gamut of things, uh, yeah. which is great. And it's also, uh, you know, empathy, empathy is a bitch at times, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that is, that is the best way to describe it. And yeah. And, and I, I appreciate that. Um, and just so everybody listening to have a little bit of context, Adam and I know each other very, very well. And it's been a pre pandemic, a while since we talked, we connected and given the state of the world, um, I was sitting here one day talking to my mastermind students and listening to everybody and things seem to be changing all the time. And the two common threads that I keep finding are everybody having to pivot, not being romantic about how things were and having the intentional intestinal fortitude to trust themselves to go forward, which is resiliency. And you happen to be an expert on both of those. And so I want to get into those, but I'm going to ask you a different question first. Sure. You ready for this one? I And you know what, Adam? I'm going to frame this one since you're a little NLP master too. I can almost guarantee you that you've never been asked this question. I'm going to guarantee <laughs> this one. Okay? Sure. Okay. I will so, not bet against that, by the way. Yeah. Okay, cool. So <laughs> if you could combine two animals to be your spirit animal, what would they be and why? Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Wow. We're going there, huh? Spirit animals. Um, you got to combine the two of them. I'm a, I'm a dog guy, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, diss my, my canine buddies. I love dogs and have been so lucky. Uh, Randy and I, even since the time the kids were born, we've always had dogs until just recently. We've always usually big labs or golden retrievers. They're just, they're just, I mean, they're unconditionally loving. And I would say that's probably true of, of dogs in general, but just the breeds that we've had and the ones that we've been lucky enough to be around um, have been, and you know our dogs, because you've met, you met Wilson, met Willie, who's our black lab, and Duncan uh, was our golden. And both of them, unfortunately, before the pandemic, um, transitioned, moved on. And, uh, and that's always one of the most brutal things to, uh, to, see, to see that, because they're a member of the family, um, but one of the lasting lessons and, and really a legacy of both of these dogs, but I'll say Duncan in particular, is just how, how they modeled unconditional love. And, you know, you could forget to feed them. Not that you ever want to do that, but you could forget to feed them and, and they don't hold a grudge. They're not resentful. They don't give you any attitude about it. They're just happy you fed them. They're happy you remembered. And, and they will lick you and love you without any recrimination. And so it's a great example of what we can aspire to to be as, as people loving ourselves and, and loving others that way. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question. One of those spirit animals is absolutely going to be a dog, man. And what's it's the second be a dog. one? And you got to combine them. Yeah. So it'll be a, a lab dog mixed with what? Lab dog mixed. Well, I think in another lifetime because of my feet and, and looking at my webbed toes <laughs> and the fact that I, I live in the water more than I do on the land probably – um, I was a dolphin, so yes. I'm going to combine this crazy combination of a of a lab of some kind and a and a dolphin. That's you, what would be. I forgot about our ping pong championships and your water. I should have said, and they made the movie Waterworld about Adam Markel. Like that would have been yeah. like that, just the best. <laughs> We did, I, by the way, have some epic ping pong matches. Oh, we're, we're due. We'll make it happen. You and Randy are either coming to Montana or I will find my way back down there because I was just down there a couple months ago. But uh, So just so right. you know, I said uh, bald eagle and an orca whale. Yeah. Those yeah. were my two. And so yeah. I love it. I love it. The eagle was in my head. It was in my head. And you know what? It just had to check in and go, you know, I, I got to be, uh, there's got to be a, a water element. So the orca's cool, man. I love the, the orcas. That's awesome. I love the, they are, the, they are the, the alpha of alphas, man. So I, <laughs> it fits that you would pick that particular animal. Well, I, I, that's the, that's the recycled podcast question. I had somebody like I, you and I both have been interviewed, what, thousands of times. Right. And it's, I've never been at, at a loss for words. And <laughs> This question came and I like looked at the screen and I was like, uh, uh, I need a minute. I just need right. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I even said, I was like, by the way, I think this is the first time in my entire life I've been speechless. Like outside of the birth of my kids, marrying my wife, like you nailed it. 
But it was such a positive pattern interrupt that it got me to like immediately think so much deeper. And I absolutely loved it. And I, I literally had to go back and listen to what I said. And I was like, that seemed like something I said when I finished ayahuasca, like, whoa, okay, cool. Like there's some depth in there. I should probably practice a little bit. So I love it. I love it. It's a great question. It is. It, it's a, I do one of two ways. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made in business and lesson you've learned? And I was like, but mm. you're the master of pivots, right? We'll get into that. That's, been asked, that's been asked a thousand times. Yeah, it, depend, thousand. it depends. I use that one for everybody that has the rehearsed like scripts, you know, like, hey, I have a book coming out, right? Oh, I see. I have so a book coming scene. out. Like, this is what I can do. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to talk about. And they're like, what are we going to talk right. about? We'll talk about your book and boom. And I was like, cool. I'm glad your book's done. But what's the biggest fuck up you've ever had? And they're right. like. I'm like, no, we can't talk about your book until you tell me that I want the tea, like give me all of the laundry. Right. So it's, it's a good one, but I do have to give a little bit of context here. So I know your history really, really well. And for everybody listening, I don't want to, I, I would do it injustice, but can you give me like a story arc? Because, you know, you went from being a fish in the water, you know, swimming, growing up near I did, right. I just came behind you to now like literally speaking on stages all over the world. You are the master of pivoting. And I still, Adam, to this day, couldn't describe you in a sentence minus then you help like people unlock their gifts, but you have such a repertoire of experience through training and teaching. Can you give everybody kind of like your background in whatever version you want on how you got here? Yeah. No, thank, thank you for, for asking me that, George. I, I don't, I never mind answering this question. And it's the, the question is just which sort of trajectory do I want to create for it? So, um, you know, I think given what's going on in the world right now, which is that for the most part, people are dealing with uncertainty, unprecedented uncertainty, and a lot of, a lot of anxiety and other emotions and kind of a mixed bag of emotions right now that is, um, that is just so, so, um, different, I think, than, than the way, um, than the way we have experienced life as normal. There's no going back to normal. There is no normal anyway, but there's no back to normal. If anything, it's, it's the now normal and, and this is new and this is now, and there'll be a next normal tomorrow or next week or whatever it is. So yeah, you know, the book pivot is, is the title of uh, or the term pivot is the title of a book I wrote back in 2016 about my pivot out of being an attorney. Um, it was more than that, but but from a career standpoint, I was pivoting out of 18 years as a litigation attorney practicing primarily in New York and in New Jersey, uh, having created a successful law firm and you know all the things that go along with that, but finding that I was anxious a lot, I was angry more than I was even anxious, uh, that I would start my day feeling things that, or feeling in a particular way that I, I just could never have imagined when I was 15 years old or 20 years old, uh, just starting the day feeling a sense of dread. Now, to fill in the context, I was married happily and still to my college sweetheart, 33 years, four healthy kids, two dogs, as I was describing, you know, gerbils, goldfish, the whole, you know, house of, you know, just everything um, that I would have wanted or aspired to. And, and of course, it all sounded like and looked like success. So why was I waking up in the morning and feeling dread? Why was I having trouble going to sleep at night? Why couldn't I get back to sleep if I woke up at three o'clock in the morning? Um, those were questions that I couldn't answer. And ultimately it put me in the hospital and, you know, it's a dramatic story. I'll, I'll, I'll skip to the, to the punchline of it. I thought I was having a heart attack. I felt like I was having a heart attack. I was having a panic attack. Um, and it took several hours of tests and thinking I'm not going to see my kids again and feeling embarrassed and, you know, in my, uh, little, thing they, you know, you get on when you, you get to the emergency room and lying on a gurney half naked and, and just feeling so vulnerable and all that um, to find out that it wasn't actually a physical thing, but it was really an emotional thing. It was a mental thing. It was hard to take, um, especially since I was a paid warrior. I was like paid to go into court and fight uh, for a living. And, and so 
that was just shaky. Um, it shook, it shook the foundation for a while. Um, and ultimately I, uh, I had one of these pretty interesting experiences one night when I wasn't able to get back to sleep. I was just watching TV and this old movie, Jerry Maguire came on. Um, you, you remember that movie, right, George? I, I remember that movie very well. 1994. There's, there's some great characters in that movie. There's some great lines. Cuba Gooding delivers some. Money. Exactly. Show me the money, Jerry. And <laughs> Joe Jerry's <laughs> played by Tom Cruise. But it's it's not that part of the movie. You know, the, I think there's the line in the movie too that you had me at hello. You know, there's so many yep. great lines. Oh movie, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, Renee Zellweger. But my my little thing, the part that was in that movie for me at two o'clock in the morning one night was where Jerry's mentor, a guy by the name of Dickie Fox, this older guy in a seersucker suit or something, sitting behind, you know, his desk with this little, this little placard that says Dickie Fox on it. Um, he says something to the effect of, I've, I've failed as much as I've succeeded in life, but I love my life and I love my wife and I wish you my kind of success. And in that moment, I just was able to go to sleep. I was able to go to sleep and wake up the next morning. And when I, my feet hit the floor the next morning, I didn't feel the sense of dread. I didn't feel anxiousness or just, you know, any of that. I put my feet on the floor and I said out loud, I love my life. Like it's spontaneously, those words just came out of my mouth. I love my life. I felt gratitude, in other words. I was I was in a state of appreciation for my life, even though my life wasn't perfect, even though there were things I wished were different or I wanted to change. I was getting older. I was losing my hair. I was dealing with sort of a midlife career crisis because I didn't think I wanted to be a professional fighter that way. I didn't want to do what I was doing any longer. You know, all that stuff was coalescing in my mind. But what came out of my mouth was simply an expression of gratitude, George. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything. It doesn't mean that, you know, everything outside changed immediately. But something changed inside of me that changed everything in my life after that. So I wrote the book Pivot and it became a big bestseller, allowed me to go around the world and talk about this stuff speak to people that I've never met before by the thousands. That's been amazing. And these days I speak to a lot of companies, um, primarily about a chapter that was within the book pivot. So mm -hmm. inside pivot was this chapter about resilience. Now I have a book that's coming out later this year called change proof, mm -hmm. which is how to leverage uncertainty to build long-term resilience. And that's a book where pivot is a, is a chapter within the bigger context of resiliency. And how it is that we develop resiliency every day, both individually and, and organizationally. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm up to these days. I love it. And I'm going to ask you a question. I've actually never asked you this. Um, so my experience of you, I like pull out PD stuff when I'm with you, like in the best way possible. Like bring out the best version of me. Um, thank you for that, being such a dope human. But like my experience of you is like you say that story – I know the depth of that story. Like we've shared many tears together back and forth. Like the ability like for you to pivot at such a level, but even when you talk about it, you have this like grounded confidence in your ability to execute and the ambiguity, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of people that want to pivot. There's a lot of people that do pivot, but they pivot out of scarcity. They pivot out of fear. And I'm one of them like that, that has come up for me. But every time I've seen you, I've talked to you, I've heard from you going from warrior and litigation to I love my life to I'm having the best career of my life to, oh, it's all gone to I'm going to jump into this and build it with my family. And every single time I have never heard you say from it was so hard or I didn't think it could happen or it was because of this. It's always from this place of gratitude and I would, I would almost call it like blind, loving confidence that it's guaranteed to work. And I want to know, it? I want to know where that comes from. Like what is underneath um, that for you? Wow. That's a great question, George. Um, I'm not, I'm not just a half full 
glass guy. I'm not a wearing the rose colored glasses guy. I mean, I look for the I look for the best in people and in myself. I look for the best in the world. I'm very spiritual, and I don't mind saying I'm a God guy. Mm -hmm. um, not religious, uh, just not you know that's not my bag. But I am 100 mm percent -hmm. a lover of God, mm -hmm. um, and and for that, I mean, I believe in in loving goodness of this universe that 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 is our host mm -hmm. so i don't believe in randomness mm -hmm. i believe everything is is happening in this just beautiful synchronistic and and harmonious way whether we see it or not mm -hmm. so that's a certain faith that that i think infuses my my attitude mm -hmm. about things it doesn't mean that i don't feel like shit it or have really awful uh, feelings, self-loathing feelings or feelings of, you know, I, I work on my own covetedness or the wanting I I'm like work on in my, in my code of conduct, which is the way I begin the day. Um, part of what I, I want to, uh, be present to is wanting less. Like I already have a lot and I have more than a lot of people and maybe not as much as some other folks, but I want to want less. Mm. I'm, there's a beautiful part of the 23rd Psalm and people are going to think I'm some religious nut or something. <laughs> Fine. Good for you. If that's what this triggers, um, <laughs> I am not, but I do love what comes out of some of the great texts that have been written that have survived the test of time, including the Bible first, you know, uh, old and new. And, and so there's this, thing called the 23rd Psalm, which is, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And often that's recited at a funeral. In fact, I recited it at my father-in-law's funeral. And I imagine that it won't be the last time I recite it, but I don't recite it just at funerals. I, I, it's a prayer, it's a prayer of gratitude. It's a prayer, um, for, for everyday uh, use. And, and for me that I shall not want part is so is so vital because that's what part of faith is about that you want for, that I, i'm not coming from a needy or a, a place of constant want you know i know a lot of people have a lot and they still want more i have a lot and i find myself still wanting more so it's it's kind of insatiable and it's baked into the capitalist you know uh paradigm for good reason, you know, it, it really is good for capitalism that people just keep wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting more and more stuff. And that's fine. I'm not opposed to that. Um, and, and yet I want to control, I, I, I want to want less, mm -hmm. um, because when I'm, and, and the way that I get there and it takes reminding and I'm not there even half the time I'd say is to, when I'm grateful, then there's nothing that I need to covet. I don't need to want someone else's anything or want more when I'm in a state of appreciation for what I, I have, including this moment, this breath, this conversation, this health, this everything. It's just perfect in this moment. And and I do believe that, that the next moment is going to take care of itself, George, if I can just get my, my thoughts right. Mm-hmm now um there's no guarantee you know obviously but that's the theory so would it be fair to say that like with your code of conduct like the foundation of it is gratitude well so the code of conduct is just some statements that i say in the morning and they all they have the same construction and i and, and it's interesting because this is one of the things that even in a corporate setting which is typically where i'm sharing content these days and and I will share this code of conduct as a part of how it is that you create rituals for resilience mm -hmm. because resilience is all about recovery. It's not about endurance. It's about these creating recovery zones. So my first recovery, recovery zone of the day is this 10 minutes. I sit quietly by myself in the bathroom, by the way, just <laughs> you know, the, the quietest place in anybody's house, the most private place. Uh, I go there and I sit for 10 minutes to consider how it is that I want to experience myself being today. And so it's, I experience blank today. That's the construction. And the blank is, is how it is that if I had my choice, my magic wand, this is what I would experience throughout, throughout the day. And the first one is always gratitude, George. Mm -hmm. It's not the last one and it's not the only one, but if, 
if that's the only thing that I can possibly get right today is to just live in an experience of gratitude, mm. there isn't too much wrong that's going to happen. Or even if things go sideways, <laughs> I'm still going to be able to find something to appreciate in the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like the foundation, it sets the frame and it's also a ripcord if needed during the day to come back. And Heck we have, yeah. we have some bald stuff in common. Yeah. I require like my mastermind students to have a stillness practice every morning before mm. the world wakes up. And so I do an hour, but I call it, I make, I practice boredom because it's a muscle. I struggled to flex most of my life, which was being in a relationship with myself. Mm. And so I flex it. Like that's my morning gym time. That's my morning sit, but I can't be active. I have to just sit. And so like I live on a lake, I'll sit, there's deer in my backyard or whatever. It took me seven months to be able to do an hour. Uh, it was probably mm. like five, six minutes of time for the first like three months because I couldn't stop. And it's just, it's interesting. We haven't talked in so long. Yeah. And it's like probably one of the most profound practices that I have that changes everything. Like, and I think it ties into resiliency because, you know, one of the things that I notice about you is in this is you're saying that it's gratitude, right? And underneath it, what I see is you almost solidifying your foundation so that when the triggers come, when the world changes, when you're required to pivot, you might have the internal turmoil, but you have the external confidence and the ability to hold so that you can be there and not react and then choose how to respond. Like that's the best way I would describe you. You know what? That's a, I take that compliment and, and gratefully uh, accept it, George. I, you know, to me, it's the, the question is not, you know, if the world is going to pivot or yeah. shake, you know, it's when, and yeah. Uh, how do you best situate yourself or, or create a, uh, a context for dealing with those, any of those things, regardless of what they might be? And I agree with you. I think that gratitude is a foundational principle. You, you said something else that kind of triggered a different thing for me, which is that in this book called Change Proof that, that'll be out later this year from McGraw-Hill, I, I share a process throughout the book called Pause, Ask, Choose. And it's really what you were just saying that so in the midst of any kind of chaos or any adversity or uncertainty or ambiguity, I loved that word used earlier, um, there's, there's a, a framework that I use, which is to pause, to ask and to choose. So in the simplest, most sort of, you know, 10 second explanation of it, it's I pause to then ask how I want to experience myself being in this moment. And then I choose that what what comes through in that at that moment so to pause and to ask how i want to experience myself being means that i am now consciously interacting with that experience and deciding for myself what what i want to feel um as opposed to simply being reactive and life is a reflex of mental states, Emmett Fox once said, life is a reflex of mental states. And we're constantly sort of in that reflexive uh, state of being where our mind is just bouncing all over the place. And, and these days we go from outrage to outrage. I mean, that's what's going on in the world. One outrage matched by another outrage. So it's the outrage over people who wear a mask. It's the outrage over people who don't wear a mask and every other thing that we can conceive of. Mm -hmm. And it's this re reflex state uh, that, that has, um, I think, the, the, is, the, is the greatest threat to, to our well-being that I can think of at this moment. Um, it's not bombs. It's not political systems. It's not religious organizations. It's not any of those things. It's the fact that, that we are so reactive now. And that is to me something to pay attention to. So you pause, you ask, you choose, you, you are make, making a conscious decision then. And what, it, what is our life in the end, the beginning, the middle, at any point, what is it other than a collection of our decisions that we've made so far? So better decision-making, right decision-making, spontaneous right decision-making is a worthy outcome to be working on. Mm -hmm. Well, and spontaneous right decision-making comes from practice. 
And yes. That's the thing that I think is so powerful. And you, you just said something. Um, in my opinion, reactivity creates divisiveness. Like that, that's it, right? It, it, it eliminates the ability for either party to have safe space to be witnessed. It's always about change, wrong, project, push. And so I love it. And, and I think it's huge. You said something in the beginning of that, though, that I want to dive into. And I'm sure we can unpack the rest of that. And I don't even know if anybody heard it. You said how I choose to feel. And I know your background. I know the work I've done. It's a very different context than a lot of what we hear. But the truth is, is that feelings are always inside of us. It's chemistry within our body, our brain, neural pathways, synapses. And it's almost like we let the outside world turn our dial to tune into anxiety or to tune into fear or to tune into sadness. And we forget that we control the dial and we can tune it into happiness or tune it into joy. And this is what I love Joe Dispenza's work for. Like mm. that's really where it gets in. And and I hear the parts of it, but you said it so casually and I just wanted to give it a moment of glory of like that pause, that pause is allowing you to be in your experience, not separated from it, right? It's not happening to you, like it's happening in you. And in my experience, I can't speak for anybody else, the moment that I can witness my ego, my sadness, my projection, my fear, it tends to dissipate. And so I love what you said about the pause, ask and choose. Um, I've just noticed my pause period sometimes lasts for a couple of days, <laughs> but I learned how to be with it. But I, I just wanted to give that a moment because yeah. it, it was so subtle for you, but it's such a, a profound concept of like in that pause and practicing uh, conscious, you know, fast pivoting decision-making is practicing it. So in that moment, we know where we are and we can figure out in that asking question and then choosing where to turn that dial. I just think it's a really, really simple and profound process and you are the master of those things. And so I just wanted to give that its due glory because I feel like that's a massively powerful tool for people. Yeah, I, I feel like it's tangible. You know, it's um, I have a podcast, you know, called The Conscious Pivot. And um, I've spoken about this on that show before. And people will write in and say, you know, um, it was easy for me to just start doing this thing. Because mm -hmm. originally my whole story was I read something about Benjamin Franklin creating a list of ways he wanted to behave. The sort of the optimal behavior morally, ethically, that kind of thing. And I, I tweaked that process to say, well, how do I want to, how do I want to feel about my day at the end of the day? If I looked at the end of the day back at, you know, what went on, how did I experience the day was what I was after. Because I, again, theory was end of our days. All we have really to show for it is the resonance, the feeling of what it meant to be alive. So if I spend my days as I was a lawyer back in those days, angry all the time, then the resonance on my deathbed of my life was going to be a largely how I spent the bulk of my life, which was being angry. So I said, I, that's, that's not going to work for me. And so my original code of conduct, which I share with people is still these 13 original statements and then anything else that comes through, you know, in, in, in that quiet time. Um, but one of those statements is, I experience being the conscious creator of my own life experience today. And that to me is the most powerful one. It's even more powerful on some sense, in some sense than the gratitude one, because that is the, it's the program. Mm -hmm. It's the actual program that runs everything else. Being the conscious creator of your life experience, as opposed to being the experiencing life by default experiencing life in reaction to externalities, existential threats, other people's uh, desires, their wants, their, their, uh, you know, their thoughts. That, that is not to me the, the way we would choose to live our lives if we have a choice. And truly it is our greatest freedom. It's our only true freedom. I don't think we have any other freedom. You might think because you have land and money and guns and any other thing that you can think of to surround yourself with that you have freedom or you have security or certainty. And I'll call BS on that 
any day of the week. The only freedom that I'm aware of that I have, regardless of my money, my position, uh, my land, my toys, the only thing I've got is the choice to think how I think. The choice to experience my life through the lens of my own thinking is the only freedom that I am aware of for myself. Maybe you have a different one. I'm, I'm open to hearing about that. So I think that, that when you said earlier about it takes practice, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a daily vigilance to get to a place where you don't, you're not free of problems or you're not free of negative feelings or thoughts or emotions. But the truth of the matter is you have a, you have a way of, of dealing with them more consciously and therefore they, they impact you just a little differently. And I'm so yeah, you get shaken, but you don't get. I don't know. I'm so glad you down for. I'm so good. glad you said that though, because of what I was about to ask is that like the the practice piece of all of it. Like I think the most important part is like you still feel turmoil on the inside. There's still self loathing. There's still judgment. There's still like what like for me like the imposter syndrome gets so real. And I'm like, how can I create that result for them over there? And then to walk out of the office and feel like a four year old crying in the corner, like what am I doing? And I, I think the practice piece is huge. And I actually like that pause ask choose is so huge for me because I think a lot of times, and I'm going to ask you about this before we get into resiliency. And by the way, I agree with you on the thinking part, you know, but I build my external environment for my family to feel safe so I can choose to think how I think. Um, <laughs> is uh, I'm just, I'm just, I know you are. Joke. I know you are. I know you are. And, and by the way, for everybody listening, what Adam just talked about, uh, I re-listened to A Man's Search for Meaning uh, and mm, Victor Frankel's books. Yeah. Uh, quite often, they tend to be my long hikes books because uh, it really helps me put into perspective like how I'm choosing to think and my world of 72 degree comfort every single day. Uh, and yet some that man as a psychologist found the ability to create that from a place of being in a concentration camp. So I, I, I highly... I feel like that should be required humanity reading. But if you have not read that by Viktor Frankl, I highly recommend it. Um, it's taken me maybe 20 times to even understand it at the level that is there. And I don't feel like I can ever fully empathize or embody because I'm not in and I will probably never be in that situation. But it's it's impeccable. Um, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate that you keep talking about is and, it, and it's mixed in with the pivot, right? But I, I think a lot of times, and, and even when I met you, like I was overweight, I was heavy again, like there was a lot of stuff going on. Like I was physically showing a lot of that internal emotion uh, and pain and trauma. And, you know, you got to meet me in, in the midst of a, a giant transition healing period. But for me, I always knew I wanted to be different, right? Like my heart was like, my heart hurts, but I want to give love right? Like I'm unhappy, but I want to be happy. Like I'm depressed, but I want to give happiness. And there was always this point where there was like this line of demarcation and I could never figure out how to step and I didn't know where to go or what to do. And it's, I overcomplicated the entire thing. I was just frozen. And so the reason, like, I was like, Oh, I got to talk to Adam. Like, You've said it a few times in here, but I kind of want you to bow it around, you know, since you're one of the most prolific speakers in the world of like in that moment, we're talking about flexing this muscle of like being able to withstand resistance and then well withstanding it, check in and go in instead of out of like, okay, choose, right? Is that number pause, ask, and then choose and then practicing and practicing it. What does that look like for somebody who's like, I get it. Like I'm unhappy or I'm super stressed or I feel out of control. Like how can that become palpable for somebody to take an action? Cause it took me having people like you and my wife and, you know, plant medicines and boom to realize like, oh, well, if I just do one thing today and then one thing tomorrow, then it will work. But it took me three years to take a step in that direction. And yeah. I never realized my feet were cemented into the ground. And I was just choosing to keep them there, right? Like it looked like cement, but I was standing on top of it. It just right. felt heavy because that's how I chose to see it. And so I just feel like in this practice, like, do you have any tangible or palpable ways for people to practice that resiliency or to pivot into action? Because I feel like a lot of people and myself included in the world now pick the state of the world or any point, you said it earlier, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Mm -hmm. 
And it's funny to me. I had this conversation with Lindsay last night. (laughs) And I was like, we talked about this happening six weeks ago. And yet it happened today. And we both went off kilt. Like we both went full tilt and we knew it was coming. And it took one of us to be like, hey, you remember? And I was like, oh yeah, we knew we were going to get punched in the face. Okay, got it. Um, But I would just love to know your thoughts around that or anything palpable because I'm still, you know, learning that. And I feel like you help people pivot and do all of it to like, what would be an action that people could take in that direction, right? Because even even for me, I love it, right? Pause. Adam, there were times that I paused that I couldn't be with what I was feeling on the inside. Like it, it made me want to like run away or put a hole in the wall or confront some demons that I wasn't ready to confront like death from war and, you know, trauma and, and some things like that. So I would just kind of love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I'm going to drive and you can just interrupt me any, at any point, George, I'm going to, I'm going to try to dance around this a little bit here. Um, go from like a, like a bee pollinating some flowers. So, you know, to me, when you think about, uh, resilience or resiliency, one of the most important things for leaders to understand, and that's leader of a family, leader of an organization, we're all leaders. It's easier to to avoid exhaustion in the first place than to recover from it later. It's easier to avoid burnout in the first place than to recover from it later. So that doesn't help you in the moment if you're exhausted or burned out, okay? I got that, right? So, but it, but it is a... It is a lesson for the future when you are no longer exhausted or burned out to remember that because you ended up exhausted or burned out because of of a pattern, a default way of, of showing up. And so people end up in that ditch repeatedly. Maybe it's three years in between trips to the ditch. Maybe it's it's every other month or every other week, but it's habitual. So when I talked about putting my feet on the floor and feeling dread, there were days when I didn't feel dread, but the majority of the times that that I was at my lowest point were those moments when I was starting the day feeling like I wanted to crawl back in bed. And it, there's just nothing more debilitating than that. It's a sign of depression mm-hmm. that you just don't want to even face the world, don't want to get out in the world. So um, at that moment, I was already beat. I was already you know, in, in a state where um, I couldn't have avoided it. It was already la- had already landed on me. So the other aspect of resilience, developing resilience, is not just that you do things to avoid it in the first place, but that when it's something that you are experiencing, that you recognize how you alleviate it. And that's where you asked me earlier, what's the tangible you know thing you yeah. do? And that is to recognize that resilience is not about muscling through. It's not about stiff upper lip, don't quit, and any other bullshit like that. That's why what Simone Biles did at the Olympics is a lesson to all of us. She had more pressure on her than any of us on this uh, call, right? Mm-hmm. And probably anybody listening to this wouldn't have had, doesn't live with half the amount of pressure that this woman had on her when the eyes of the world and her country were solidly on her to win every single event, to get a gold medal and to lead her team and lead her country forward. And in that moment when she was feeling burned out, exhausted to the degree that maybe it, it was possible she could get injured uh, and and end her her career or or damage herself physically she chose to 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 step back so she stepped back instead of having a setback there is a very big difference between a step back and a setback a setback is something that happens when we don't see the signs when we are just sort of going about our business and something happens that's required to have us slow down or pause. It's sort of like a uh, the universe's way of making us pause. But to consciously step back, she she was saying, "I need a rec- I need I need a, a zone of recovery. I need to pr- create a place for me to recharge and to reset." And what's amazing is that she did that, and in the span of like a week or less than a week. She was able to get back into competition on the balance beam of all things and win a bronze medal. Now, her stepping back 
also allowed there to be space on that team for other people to step up. And that's what happened because Suni Lee won the all-around gold medal and another woman whose name I don't remember won a silver in a, an event she probably wouldn't have competed in. So, you know, it was just magical that she was able to model what that looks like. So people that are feeling the way they might be feeling, as you said, exhausted or burned out, just look at the example Simone Biles gave us. And people, of course, you know, there were people who were super critical of her, calling her a coward, saying she was a quitter and all those kinds of things. And then, of course, there were lots of people who supported her. But regardless of what other people were thinking or, you know, pontificating about, she did what she needed to do to get right. And when she got right, she got back in the game. She got back in competition and won a freaking bronze medal at the Olympics, which is, by the way, the same medal she got in Rio when, when you know, just however many years earlier, five years earlier or something. So the, the concept of resilience is really about recovery. It's not about endurance. It's not about muscling through. So if you hear one thing, know this, wherever you are at the moment, wherever I am at the moment, our ability to perform at our highest level, at Olympic, our Olympic level, mm-hmm. not just for one moment, one meet, one event, but over and over again for the long term is, is dependent on our ability to, to create zones of recovery for ourselves each and every day. That's what I know, like I know my own name is Adam. I learned that lesson when I was just 19 years old as a lifeguard at Jones Beach. I tell this story as like the opening of my keynote is always this story where, in fact, I think I have my whistle right here, this old lifeguard whistle, this Jones Beach lifeguard whistle. And in this story, it doesn't end well. I'm not going to tell the story now. It doesn't have a happy ending. But what, what we have to do as a lifeguard crew is come together like any team comes together to learn something from that experience and be able to go forward. I I often will say that resilience is not about how we bounce back. It's how we, it's how we bounce forward. And the bouncing forward part requires that we learn, that we learn from that experience, that we can uh, have that, that recovery or create that recovery so that we are stronger to deal with the next the next phase of whatever it is, whether it's the next phase of this pandemic, it's Delta variant, it's this variant, it's that variant. I don't care what variant is. There'll be some other thing that we're going to deal with. Life is changing so rapidly. So why think that, that you know, like this is not a race we want to end. I think so many of you want this thing to just be over. Let it, let it be over already. Well, what do you mean let it be over? It'll be something else. This is not about waiting for it to be over so we can get back to something. It's about what we create now in this moment that enables us to become change proof, which is like agnostic to change. doesn't matter what the change is. We're solid. Like you said earlier, you paid me a massive compliment that to be solid in the midst of it, to be the eye of the storm means we're not trying to avoid a storm. That's silly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no, there's no doing that. But in, 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 you know, hopefully I'm answering your question, George, you, you know, you can, you can simply, I'll give I'll, I'll do this. So pause, ask, choose. Pausing is like another way to look at this is, is it's a reset. Mm-hmm. So you pause to reset the way Simone Biles took a step back to reset. The asking is really about reframing the art of reframing. So you look at the situation and see a la Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, what meaning is there that I can get out of this? What's the, what can I learn from this? What meaning can I, can I mine out of what is very difficult, some difficult circumstance? And the, and the choosing is to choose to ritualize those recovery zones. So to me, my entire day from, mo- from waking until sleeping are a series of rituals that allow me to, to recover. And by the way, recovery isn't like a pina colada on the beach for seven days. That's <laughs> fine. I'm cool with that recovery. But recovery can be five minutes. When you rest your mind, when you become adept at resting your mind for five minutes, the next 45 minutes or an hour could be the best 45 minutes or an hour of your entire day. And that's at the point of your day when you might be reaching for chocolate or coffee. And instead of having to do that and then crashing or just you know completely running out of juice, you're all of a sudden ready to go. 
Like at three o'clock in the afternoon, you go, how am I ready to go? Well, it's because I put my feet up the wall and closed my eyes for five minutes. Yep. You know, I took a, a 20 minute walk. I jumped in the pool. I went and looked, you know, at, at, at some, you know, I went into nature and just looked at, at, at the natural beauty that's all around me. I drank a glass of water, like a full glass of water to flush out quickly not sipping water all day long like a like a kitty cat like literally just drank a gallon of water to flush out whatever was not you know like in my body that didn't feel good these are these and if i sound like i'm you know, hopefully i don't sound like i'm lecturing here it, no keep it going it's just finding what works for you it doesn't have to work for me that what works for you or, or vice versa but if you are are constantly looking to ritualize these opportunities to to recover, you will find that your performance is going to increase, and your capacity to go longer distances at higher levels of performance will also show up. And that's I'm jazzed about that because we have so many things in this world that need our attention, that crave our attention, um, and we have to have the energy to show up to do that. We can't count on 18 year olds to do it. Those 18 year olds will be 28 year olds before long. Yeah. And they'll be 38 year olds before, before very long after that. But where we are as adults right now, it's our job to raise our energy, mm -hmm. to be able to deal with those things and pass the baton to those younger people because they'll do their job when it's their turn. It's yep. just not their turn right this minute. Yeah, I, 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 yes, keep going. I'm going to summarize this. Uh, it's really funny when we have years apart, how correlated we are. You have protected rituals. I call them containers. Uh, mm -hmm. But what you did say, and I, I wanted to call this out. So two big, big, big parts that really resonated with me for those listening is, uh, and I'm going to give you credit again, um, underneath what you said is, is there's no passive day. Like there's no, the day is happening. It's like, I'm being intentional. Like what I hear is that every single thing that you do has a level of intentionality in what you're doing. And so it's not, I have a morning routine and I'm intentional about it. It's a, every single thing in my day, I'm intentional about accomplishing. And if at any moment I lose the ability to maintain the integrity of that ritual, I have the foresight to pause, ask what's going on and choose something different. And in the examples you gave, you have a toolbox of ways to practice your resiliency to recover in a one to five to 15 to 20 minute pocket to re-integrity or re-integrous or rebuild the integrity of those rituals and water, breath, cold therapy, surfing, movement, walking, like breathing, jumping, jumping jacks, push-ups, like playing with your kids, laughing outside, like ping pong, ping pong. And <laughs> Adam and I had some really competitive ping pong matches. Uh, he brought, he brought the old George, the, the Afghanistan George back out. But the part, Adam, the deeper part of that is that with your rituals, and, and I, I know I just kind of summarized your whole thing, but that's how my brain worked was in the model of in the rituals. The one part that I think is so important is that every part of your day is intentionally done in pursuit of whatever that thing is, right? Whatever that thing is for you, when it falls out, you pause, you ask, you choose, you pick a tool to recover and practice your resiliency. But the dis distinction is all of your tools are internal. None of them are external. And so I'm going to say, it's not go watch Netflix. It's not go get programmed. Like you talked earlier about the supercomputer, right? I blank the program that runs my brain. And I had Jim on the show and we talked about this and I stopped listening to music with lyrics three years ago because I was letting everybody else program how I thought and felt. Mm. And so the one thing that I will say for me is everybody is that you can't use the tool or the recovery pocket to let something from the outside world in to quote unquote recover. You have to come from within and choose what fills it. It's not, and I would challenge, it's not probably music unless you're playing the guitar and creating like Adam would do. It has to be something from creation 
into choosing it something different, right? Filling your own bucket with breath or creating something or expressing something so that there's a physical release or a movement through in that recovery period for resiliency. And so I just wanted to summarize that for me because that was super powerful. And so I don't know if that makes sense. It it makes total sense, George. I mean, I, I love to read. So I'm reading someone else's work. I'm writing books, but I'm also reading other people's things. So, um, I would just say it's, it's, it's not, you know, you think about resilience, people tend to sometimes describe it as like this ability to bounce back from a setbacks thing. And it's like one big elephant. And I think it's, it's not a, a big blob or a big amorphous thing. It's actually smaller things. And usually those smaller things fit into the, the realm of the mental, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual. So the MEPS, mm-hmm. we refer to it as that. And that makes it holistic. So, you know, if I'm thinking uh, how somebody might be listening to this right now and, and what they can do with it, it's that you want to create rituals for recovery. So recovery zones throughout your day, as you said, it could be one minute to an hour along, you know, there's no magic number about it. It's not 32 minutes is the optimal, whatever. So some of those rituals should be designed for your mind to relax or quiet or, or give your mind rest. Some of them will be for emotional release, things that we just need to get rid of, let go of, forgive, whatever it might be. There are things to do with your physical recovery that's important, drinking healthy things, eating healthy things, exercising your body, all of that. And then there's spiritual resilience as well, which is not just spirituality or uh, things to do with that, but it's also how it is that you feel most in alignment Mm-hmm. you know, alignment with, with your core values and, and what does that look like? So some people say, you know, they, they want to spend time with their family. That's so important to them, but yet they're working all the time. They don't see their family. Well, that's a disconnect, a spiritual disconnect. So how do you, you know, what do you do to restore that, to, re, to create recovery zone there is, is to schedule time to do the things that you say are important to you, whatever those things might be that you actually schedule them. So I think it's holistic and uh, and I agree with you, George. It, a lot of it is um, not trying to seek the answer from the outside, but being willing to create the answer from within, for sure. That was a lot in uh, that just last part. And I, I gotta say it, like I'm looking at a seven foot lighthouse like in front of me and you know that you know that's my whole branding and it's like, even even hearing this is so reaffirming your your new book coming out talking about resiliency you know choosing it all of it like i it was after an ayahuasca experience i was asked um by brad he's like what's the meaning of your life what's your purpose what's your mission statement what's your you know boom um and i didn't have one and i ended up writing one and and this is where the whole business was born it was my my purpose is to stand with structure in the face of resistance to create possibility. And I've had it since that day. It's written in every notebook. It's everything. And that bred into the lighthouse and like literally listening to this whole conversation. It's extremely like validating. I'm about to cry. Um, but it's so powerful because a lot of the life I lived, I had resiliency misdefined as suffering, the ability to suffer, right? The ability to endure instead of the ability to recover and choose something different. Mm. And so that reactivity for me for years created so much divisiveness within myself that it never allowed me to connect and have people feel my heart and feel what I wanted. And so hearing this, and it's kind of like full circle for me, um, it's just really powerful to hear you break it down. And for anybody listening, it's profound to know that like we always can choose and, like whatever situation it is, it's in that moment. But in the grand scheme, when you zoom out, you can make a different choice and you don't have to suffer. And it doesn't have to be hard and it's not your ability to endure. And it's okay to recover fill your tank and express and to feel and to be okay feeling and then just take a different step forward from that toolbox and so just extremely validating so thank you Mm.
and I might be the only one who cries in our conversation today. So I doubt it. <laughs> I wanna. <clears throat> I that that was channeling. That was just on my heart. Um, this has been profoundly impactful, and I wanna respect and honor the time container. And and I do have one final question, but before I do that. I'm not going to let you promote yourself. I'm going to promote you for a minute. Um, so for everybody listening to this, um, Adam's a gift in my life. We got really close and then I got really far. And then now we're in a good place because I'm healthy and not codependent anymore. But it's great. It's all working. It all worked out well. Great chapter in the book. Um, Adam uh, is probably one of the most humble uh, powerful, loving, compassionate people I know, and he will never toot his own horn. Uh, all you need is to use the power of Google to figure out who Adam is. Uh, but here's what I would recommend. Uh, anybody listening to this, I will say this very boldly. I think it would be a dramatic mistake to not find your way into Adam's world in whatever capacity that is. I've read Pivot. I've consumed his work. I've helped him in the business. I've been on his podcast. I know him. I know his entire family. And when I say there's somebody that walks the walk, meaning I could have hidden cameras set up and it would be identical to what is spoken about, whether he knows you're there or not, that is Adam Markell. Uh, you are the walking definition of integrity. And I appreciate that, the man you are and the, the stand that you take. So for everybody listening, adammarkell.com, one of the best tools to have in your arsenal is the ability to consume and connect with his resources. And so the best place to go is his website, uh, com. I would recommend getting Pivot. I'd recommend listening to the podcast. Don't go listen to ours, which is you going to anyways. We recorded it in a hot tub, I think, the last time that we did it. <laughs> down <laughs> at Carlsbad. Um, just really, really powerful stuff. And so if you're still listening to this, just do yourself the favor and get that deposit of Adam in your life for a moment. You can do with it as you please, but go check it out for sure. And so that's me. You don't have to say shit. Everybody listen, go. Uh, now, I have one final question for you. And I love this question. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite questions. So we've been doing this episode for actually exactly an hour. So I just met in black the entire episode. It's gone. Everybody forgot. Everything's erased. They haven't heard anything up until this point. And in this Nothing. moment, in this moment, you have the ability to tattoo anything that you want on their soul that they'll remember forever. And so my question for you is everybody listening to this that hasn't heard anything. And in this one moment, you have the ability to give them the gift of a tattoo on their soul that they will carry forth with them for the rest of their life. Adam, what would that be? That's easy, George. For me, anyway, that I was, I was given this gift of a seemingly, I don't, um, it, it's like a trite statement on some level. It's a Hollywood line. It's a movie from a Hollywood movie, um, and and it impacted me so profoundly it was such a visceral change in in my being when i started to play with these words for myself and i gave a ted talk some years ago where i introduced this concept um as simple as it sounds as simple as it is it is not at all easy and especially in the times that we're living in right now um loving loving your life no matter what loving your entire life. Like we just had a grandson, um, this beautiful little boy, Nakoa, Nakoa Lou. He's, he's Nakoa in, it, it translates to brave one. It's Hawaiian in origin. Uh, Lou, after my, my late father-in-law, beautiful man, we call Papa Lou. And, um, and we wrote a song, my wife, Franny and I, we wrote a song for his birth and there's, a beautiful part of the song where in the bridge it says love your life your entire life love your life such a precious life love your life your entire life and that's the message we want for our, our grandson and for our kids so 
why wouldn't that be the same exact message that I, I we would want for all of humanity, for anybody that, that would be listening or anybody that we would reach through this. So, um, those are, those are, those are the thoughts. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not interested in inspiring anybody, frankly, or motivating anybody. Um, but if it's intriguing, if it's something that you might try on and see if it fits and take, take it where you take it, do with it what you will. My hope and my, and my prayer is that you do love your life, your entire life. I love it. I'm not going to dilute that at all. So for everybody listening, uh, thank you for joining Adam and I, the bald brothers, black t-shirts, doing the game. Uh, this has been another episode of the Mind of George show. I'm going to say the same thing I always say. I will either see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, go give this one a second listen. Go check out adammarkell.com. And right now, it's time to cue that beautiful up. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com, and I'll see you in the next episode.